Well, I can tell you uh, at the beginning, this is fun for me. This is really fun. I have not been in uh, McGorman before today. Uh, it was a privilege to preach in the chapel previous. And I know that you chose to come uh, this morning and, and be a part of this. And so uh, I want you to understand that uh, even though I have pastored now for 35 years, uh, my affinity with you is as a student because I spent 14 years trying to get out of seminary. And you're probably thinking he's not the brightest bulb in the package. <laughs> and you'd be right about that. But uh, that was the, with the two master's degrees and then the Ph.D. program. And so I understand what you're going through as a student. And these are actually precious days for you. Most people on the outside don't really realize what's going on on the inside. It's not just that you're learning biblical truth. It's not just that you're wrestling with theology and you're trying to get your, your theological mores kind of and, and moorings underneath you. It's also that God's at work inside you at the same time. And it's really not easy, is it, team? It's really not easy. I was 16 whenever a brother of mine had gone to a Sagamore Hill, had a youth camp every summer called Camp Sagamore. And he went to Camp Sagamore and came back, and it was a sophomore year of school, uh, I was 10th grader, so it was, yeah, my sophomore year of school. He walked up to me in the hall, and he had a Bible in his pocket, and he said, do you know Jesus? And I said, well, because I, I didn't know much about Christ. He, I said, well, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't? And he said, well, uh, if, you know, if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I don't really want to go to hell. And so, uh, but I said, I know Jesus. That night, we, we departed, and that night, uh, I was alone in my room, and I began to hear whispers saying, uh, and they weren't audible, they were spiritual whispers saying, do you really know me? Do you really know me? Do you really know me? Encouraging you in that story to continue just to share your faith with people, whether it's random or it's, uh, it's focused. You never know what God's going to do to change someone's life. Just tell them about Jesus. Let me tell you what I want to talk to you about this morning. I'll be right on the uh, time and everything. I want to talk to you about hearing the voice of God. How do you do that? You know, Money Magazine at the very beginning of the year, I was just kind of skimming through it. I don't have any money, but I was reading Money Magazine. <laughs> so, and, and it had this popular New Year's resolutions. And I looked down through them thinking, well, some popular New, New Year's resolutions, that'd be wonderful. And not one of them had anything to do with God. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but that's, that's the case. Money Magazine didn't have anything to say about a resolution concerning God. And it got me to thinking, is there one word that I wanted to describe 2016 for me as a a Christian, first and foremost, as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor, one word, and, and, and I came to this conclusion, I want to listen all year long to the voice of God. I want to hear him speak. It's amazing, but in Psalm 19, we're told that creation is a chatter. He's constantly speaking to us. He's constantly talking to us. We should be hearing him daily. As a pastor, I have two jobs, in my opinion. One is to teach people to worship, draw them to the throne, worship Jesus. The other is to listen to the voice of God. And it has to start with me. To understand the voice of God, to hear him, and to obey. But first, you have to hear his voice. 
hear him daily. In fact, there's a family in our church. I took them to lunch a couple Sundays ago after church. Sometimes I get a chance to do that right after church. We go to lunch. And this is a fairly new couple to our church, and they'd given a huge sum of money to, uh, we have a West Campus out in Parker County. We're building a new building out there. And so I wanted to meet this couple, and they wanted to meet me. So we went to lunch, and at the lunch, it was pretty neat. Uh, they were talking, and I said, how did all this come about? And it was a pretty large sum of money. And uh, they said, well, we, we came to church one Sunday. We got in the car and drove away. And my husband said to me, did you hear God speak this morning? And, I, folks, I didn't say much about the giving or anything like that. It wasn't a big more. It was completely uh, a random thing for them. And she said to his, her husband, I heard God speak. But before I tell you what he said to me, would you tell me what he said to you? And she said, he said, we're supposed to do something for the church in this area of expanding the ministry. And he said, that's what he told me too. How much did he say to give? And she told him the exact amount. And they both had the exact. What a precious thing to know that you both hear from God and it's the same message. It's, it's God's word. The second year at seminary, I walked into the bookstore. And on the right, there was a thin book by a Swiss reformed theologian named Francis Schaeffer. Now, Schaefer's from, and actually, I did get a chance to visit the brief. You've ever heard of Schaefer? Obviously, he's not living these days. But he's really famous back, and this is 1972, because uh, his, he was he's a genius. He loved the scriptures. He understood the scriptures. And this was the title of the book. I bought it off the shelf, read it. He is there, and he is not silent. Francis Schaefer. He was, a, as I said, a Swiss theologian. He had a little goatee, long hair, wore lederhosen, kind of looked weird most of the time, talked funny, actually had a lisp. Came to Fort Worth a couple times, and I heard him at the convention center one night, and he sat right on the edge of the stage and talked to us about God and how you can know God. And the book, He Is There and He's Not Silent, the, the title pretty much betrays the content, if you will. He, he argued that God exists and He's constantly speaking to us. Well, that's, if he's speaking to us, how do we hear him? There are four ways, biblically, we hear the voice of God. I wish I'd been able to give you notes because I'd like for you to be able to see these because I'd rather you listen than write things down. But let me just, there are four ways that we hear God biblically that you and I need to be reminded of this morning because this year, my word is to listen. I want to hear the voice of God in my life. How do you do that? By the way, you know it's true. If you have a relationship with someone, there's communication, right? You're always talking with them. I talk with my wife constantly. We communicate a lot. Um, that's the, the way it is with our, our God. So how do we hear the voice of God? Four ways. First, this way. This way. Number one, we hear him clearly when we read religiously his holy scriptures. No surprise there, right? That's just Christianity 101. When we we read religiously, I use that word seriously, significantly, the Holy Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16, you should be very familiar with it as a student here. If you're not, you should memorize it. All Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God breathes out His Word. We believe in the inspired and errant Word of God. It's God's voice. This is God's voice. The Bible is called the Word of God. Why? Because it's the voice of God. Years ago, I, I can't remember, so I'm not going to quote exactly what it was, but years ago, 
uh, I remember reading that someone had gone through and read and written down every time the Scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, God said, and it was something like twelve or 1,300 times in the Old and New Testament, the Scripture says, Thus saith the Lord. This is the Word of God. In the bookstore here at the seminary, we've got God's voice. His Word is speaking out constantly. He's, he's talking with us. The Word of God. What the Bible says, God's Word. It's what God says, the Bible says. What the Bible says, God says. I think that's something, as a seminary student, you need to come to grips with. This is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. He's speaking to us from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the Revelation. This is it. Like a seashell. You know, you've picked up a seashell before, and not the best illustration in the world, but, you know, you hear, you think, the, at least the sound of the sea and rolling waves in a seashell. It's actually probably just air going through and your ear. But that's what the Bible is. The Scriptures, you pull them up to your ear, and you should be hearing the voice of God. And someone would argue, because liberal theologians argue this all the time, well, actually, this is just really the voice of men who penned what they're emotions and thoughts were at that particular time in human history. I think that's not true at all. It testifies to its own authenticity. And actually, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 16, the words of Paul are inspired and on the same level as David's words. He calls them Scripture. So where are you going with this, Ted? Well, seminary student, are you reading the Scriptures daily for your own listening pleasure you say well you know I've got so much studies to do I, I don't have time to get around to doing that well I had a professor in seminary and actually Craig probably had the same professor and he used to tell us that because he was uh, he was really an erudite intelligent guy and a remarkable Old Testament uh, uh, theologian but he would use his quiet times and his t to prepare for teaching. And he was excellent at it. And I say there's times when you, because of your, your calling here and your education here, there's times when you really don't have time to sit down and read. Like today was Luke 19 for me, go through all of Luke 19. And you don't have time to do that and get everything else ready too. So I would challenge you, not necessarily that you have to read more of the Word of God every day, immerse yourself more in it, but when you're preparing for a class, when you're getting ready for whatever it is you're responsible for, are you listening to the voice of God? Are you saying, Lord, I'm in intentionally listening to you. What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? In seminary and as a pastor, it's so easy for me and for you to see the Bible, the Word of God, as a tool, like a hammer to a carpenter, like a, some, a wrench to a plumber, as a tool to accomplish something. I've got to get that message ready for chapel. I've got to prepare for this or that. I'm preaching on Sunday to the youth group I, and totally miss the fact that God wants us to listen. He has a word for us. He wants to speak to my heart. He wants to direct me. He has something for me. Uh, in my life, when I, the first time I had a Bible, I was, when I became a Christian at 16, I didn't have a Bible until I was 19. And interesting. Uh, and I went out to the bookstore and bought a Bible. I still remember what it cost me, $11. It was a King James Bible, a good Bible, but the print was so small, I was 19 and I almost went blind. Seriously, it was so, so small. So I gave up on reading the Bible, and it wasn't until someone asked me to teach at a youth group one Monday night that I sat on a stool 
and taught 125 high school students that I had my first real encounter with the Word of God. I only knew where the Gospel of John was. That's all, that's all I knew. But you know what? That was enough. Because when I began to read the Gospel of John, I began to change. In fact, when I took the Gospel of John in seminary a few years later, when I felt God calling me to seminary, when the professor would open up the Gospel of John in class and begin to teach it, I began to weep. I never heard that before. Back to what I mentioned earlier. In seminary, it's not just about up here. It's about here, too. And I, so I know what you go through. God's changing you as well. Listen to his word. Seminarians, professors, <laughs> let me remind you, Dr. Blazing, that even when you're preparing uh, to teach us all these wonderful truths, he is there and he's not silent. Second way, the second way we hear the voice of God, by listening carefully to spiritual teaching and preaching. One that we often don't think about. Listen carefully to spiritual teaching and preaching. Uh, Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to this text. It's a fantastic text. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, he's speaking to the church at Thessalonica, when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it was, really was, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul's saying, what I had to say to you at Thessalonica was the Word of God, truth. You sit under pretty remarkable, gifted men and women teaching here uh, the Word of God, and God speaks through them. He does. He's speaking this morning to some of you through me, and I I'm, I'm humbly accept that responsibility because I know that some of you this morning need to know that you're not, you actually are not sure you're hearing from God. And sometimes it's problematic because there's a lot of static on the line. And you're not really sure if, if you're at the right place, if you're doing the right thing. And you're even at the, on this journey called Christian faith, if you're really using your gifts the way you should be using them, right? Some of you wrestle with that. Well, these teachers and preachers in your life are in fact the mouthpiece of God. The Holy Spirit gives personal messages through His mouthpieces. And, and may I say this just parenthetically, we're in a digital age and when I was in your age sitting in the pews, <clears throat> I didn't even have a typewriter. In fact, the typewriter I had in seminary uh, was one that, you, it wasn't even electric. That's how far back I actually go. Uh, which is scary. Isn't it scary how things have changed now? Uh, we had commentaries. I had Matthew Henry's commentary. Do you have a Matthew Henry commentary? Big, thick thing. It's ridiculous. It's worthless. Uh, because, I mean, if you're really going to have a good set of commentaries, you need to decide who was good in the history, who was good in the languages, who was, and you need to put this together, this compilation of different. But today, you don't even need those. There is no excuse, my dearest brother and sister, for you not being constantly, constantly on the cutting edge of excellent exegesis and biblical study. You know why? Because the best in the world are out there today, and you have access to it just with the click of a button. Just with the click of a button. Men and women who teach the Word of God teach it well, and God uses it. Oh, I was going to say, 
I don't believe we'll ever stop preaching, even in the digital age. I think until Jesus comes back, there will be preaching. Romans 10, 9 and 10. How can we know unless we hear the Word of God? So, job security. <laughs> I believe it. Job security. God sends love notes through his teachers and preachers. He sends love notes to teachers and preachers. And uh, I'll tell you kind of how that works. Uh, as a college student, uh, I, I was just a college student, and I was growing in Christ a little bit. And I was sitting on the back row at Sagamore Hill Baptist Church, and I had two girls, one on either side. I mean, they were both beautiful. And I remember thinking, I, I was going to have a Coke date after it with both of them. And I was thinking, man, what a lucky guy I am. And uh, the pastor got up and started preaching. And this is how it happened. It was like everyone in the room disappeared, including those two pretty girls. And I heard God say to that man up there in the pulpit, I'm calling you to the gospel ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know it meant seminary. I went to school, as I said, for 14 years in seminary. I didn't know I was headed for that. I didn't know I was, if you'd asked me, do you ever think God might be calling you to, a pastor, to be a pastor? I would have told you emphatically, never will I pastor. I never, it never crossed my mind. And yet, I heard God say through W. Fred Swank, I want you to obey me and follow me. Even though you will be criticized, you'll be ridiculed, even though life won't be easy, even though you'll sit in seats in seminary and I'm going to work on you from the inside out, and you're not going to even look the same when you get out as you did when you went in. I heard a preacher say that to me. God spoke through his mouth. It was fantastic. And I see this every week. Some of you who are teaching and preaching out there now, I hear people say to me, you know, you read my mail this Sunday, Pastor. So Actually, some of you are going to say after this is over in a few moments, man, he read my mail. Man, I need to hear God. I ain't reading your mail. God's speaking to you through me. God read your mail. And if I had a dollar for every time someone in our fellowship has come up to me and said, you know, last week when you said this, and they had no idea that I never said that. God said that to them. It actually wasn't even part of the context of the message that they heard. God speaks through preaching and teaching. So what's your point, Ted? To you as seminarians... Do you go to class asking God? Now, today, Lord, I'm studying you know, the life of Abraham, or I'm st studying grammar, studying Hebrew. Can God still speak to you through that marvelous, godly professor? Absolutely. Absolutely. Believe it. Let God speak through it. Um, when I was, what time do I have to quit? <laughs> Two minutes. Well, I've got, I want to tell a quick story. When I was in seminary, uh, I didn't have any, any way to get through. Uh, what time do I have to quit? <laughs> Anytime. Okay. I'm not going to be till much longer. I just wanted to be sure not to violate y your time because, uh, you, you know, you're subjected to listening to me, so I want to be kind to you. In seminary, I didn't have any money. My father was uh, a mechanic, and so he obviously he couldn't afford school. And seminary is expensive. Uh, all school is these days. And so I had to come up with some way to pay my way through seminary. So I started a business, and I started a snow ski rental business in Fort Worth, Texas. 
Sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? <laughs> well, actually, it was a home run. My second year in business, uh, and I'd never, I, in those days, in 1971 and two, you worked for 90 cents, 70 to 90 cents an hour was the going rate. And that particular year, I was in seminary full time. I had started this business here in Fort Worth, Texas. It became the largest snow ski rental business in the southern part of this country. And I had a huge tax bill. I made so much money. I paid all my seminary off in advance, all four years of it. Had a new car. Now, I was never big on personal things, but I had a new car. And um, it came time to pay my taxes. And I had a professor, a teacher. His name was Dr. Phil Hook. Uh, Dr. Blazin may remember Dr. Hook. And I owed the IRS a pretty substantial sum. And, you know, I'd never been used to paying the IRS much because I didn't make much, right? And I'm looking at this amount of money thinking it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I don't want to give the government that money. They're going to waste it on some study about a frog in the Caribbean who, you know, <laughs> it's some ridiculous thing about serious. You know, that's what they do with our money. You know that. And it just chapped me so bad. So I wasn't going to pay my taxes, even though I thought I should pay my taxes. So I decided I'm going to get a clear conscience. I'm going to go to Phil Hook. I went into his office, sat down, and said, Now, Dr. Hook, I just got to tell you, I made a boatload of money this year. And I do not want to give Uncle Sam this money because he's just going to waste it. And you know how hard it is to get. And he said, Well, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's? And I just went, Oh, uh, I guess he did. And I, I sat there a moment and really convicted. And then he said to me, and by the way, let me tell you something that's far more important, that your heart needs to always have a clear conscience if you're going to do the gospel ministry. And so I just sat back in my chair and said, thank you for your time. God spoke to me. He is there, and he's not silent. Constantly speaking to us. The third way is through impressions. This is one that's a little more on the edge, but bear with me. The third way, is seriously, he speaks to us seriously through spiritual impressions. In John 14, 26, Jesus says to the disciples, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. Now, this is a great passage, in my opinion, on inspiration, because Jesus is telling the disciples, don't you worry, the Spirit of God is going to give you the words when it comes time to pen the words, which, of course, ended up being the New Testament and uh, this wonderful book that we call the, the Scriptures. But there's also a principle here that in our lives, the Spirit of God will give us impressions and uh, directives and directions that are personal to the journey that we're on, you know. And 95% of you are in the room this morning in this seminary because you receive from God some encouragement through a preacher or a teacher to go to seminary, and then some impression from the Spirit of God where He wanted you, when He wanted you, and it moved you, grabbed a hold of you, and pulled you that direction. That's my point. Your heart and mind act as receivers for God's personal directives and His convictions. In John chapter 2, you know, uh, the woman at the well, uh, excuse me, the uh, wedding in Canaan of Galilee, Jesus' mother said to the servants there, Listen to him and do what he tells you. And then he told the servants, fill the jugs with water. There's, there's a kind of a, a little illustration there for us that 
we hear the voice of Jesus say to us, do this, and we need to do it. We need to follow that. Some of us have had some of the most wonderful ideas and thoughts that you could possibly imagine, and we thought they were our ideas. The ski business that you just laughed at a few moments ago, I note that you laughed at that. Because Fort Worth, Texas is not exactly a mountainous, heavy snowed area, right? I, I thought for years was my great idea. No. If I could tell you the story of the rest of it, you would be amazed. It was a God thing all along. I mean, craziness, yes, but God was in it, so he, he used it. Some of the most wonderful ideas you've had actually were God's ideas placed in you. Impressions, insights, intuitions that you followed along the way. Now, there's a problem with this one, in my opinion. We can find ourselves off this very narrow path into rationalism, kind of like what somebody would, might call practical deism, where it's just, just what the Bible says is all that we should walk with. And then there's the other side of the pathway, which is mysticism, which is, can be really high weeds, where it, you, know, you get a liver quiver and you're off into thinking, oh, man, that's God speak to me, but actually it was just a bad burrito, and <laughs> off you go. You have to be careful with that, right? There is a, and as students, you need to know that, that God is, he is there and he's not silent. He's constantly speaking to us, speaking to us. That's the love relationship we have with him. So uh, let me give you a couple of things you should note about impressions. This is what I operate on, on in the area of impressions, just so you have a feel for it. How you Learn to discern impressions. And by the way, I have a rule when it comes to impressions. This is my rule. I wouldn't imply it on you. But anytime God speaks to me in some impression, it's always about me and not about someone else. Please be careful when you go to someone and say, God told me to tell you. So you have to be careful of that. Because I think in, in the Christian faith today, we can manipulate so easily. We can get that um, sense of power over an individual when the truth is it's just our own flesh wanting to hurt them. Or, and in the pastorate, I speak from experience because people are always coming to me and telling me, God told me to tell you. And many times, students... What they told me was very, very painful and frightening and dangerous. God's going to do this to you. He's going to do this to your children. He's going to, unfortunately to this day, none of those things have come true. How do you discern an impression? First, very simple stuff, is it scriptural? Does it agree with the Bible, right? You've got a family of three and God told you an impression to leave your family and run off with some young person. I'm telling you, you're wrong. You had a bad burrito. That's not of the Word of God. It's sin, and you're wrong. What else can I say? Uh, secondly, does it, make more, does it make me more like Christ if I follow that impression? More like Jesus. So you got a, had a dream, and you said join ISIS and run off to Afghanistan. I'm telling you, you, you're probably not the Word of God. That wasn't a good impression from God. Three, does my church family or the council around me affirm that it's something that I should do? We need to seek mature counsel. If you've got some impression, God wants me to do this. He, let's say for an illustration, he wants me to go to the mission field in a particular place. And I've been getting that impression for some time. Well, there's ways to vet that and see if it's really of God. Four, is it consistent with how God has shaped you? I hope this doesn't offend anyone in the room, but 
I do think we probably have some missionary folks on the missionary field around the world who aren't shaped to be there and actually probably shouldn't be there. But they got an impression from God and they thought this is what God wants me to do. And their grandparents are missionaries and it just seems like the flow of life was pushing them that way. And now they're out there because I know our church has gone through this with quite a few missionary families. We support a, lots of, we spend millions a year on, missionary, on missions. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they're out there and all they're really doing in missions is surviving. Because they're not shaped to do it. They don't have the personality. They don't have the spiritual gifts to do it. In our church, we have this couple, the Merrifields, Scott and Judy Merrifield. I can't tell you where they are in the world, but they're in a remote part of China. They've been there now for 27 years, and they're just now taking the New Testament to print. You know, that's a remarkable amount of work. If, you, if, if I had an impression tomorrow to go and join the Merrifields, I'd know it's not from God. Because they're gifted to do it, called to do it. I am not. It's not my thing whatsoever. I don't have the patience, the intelligence. It takes brilliance to do that. I'm not shaped for it. So if you're not really shaped for it, God has already made you consistently to do what you feel impressed to do, be careful. Seek counsel. Number five, does it concern my responsibility? Meaning, is it has to do with your responsibility. I see this all the time. People at work will say, I'll hear the person in the carol next to me on the phone too much. So I get impression from God, and I stand up and say, you know, God's told me to tell you, you talk too much. <laughs> well, that's not your responsibility. That's the boss's responsibility. Six, is it convicting rather than condemning? I have noted this in all the years that I've walked with Jesus. Every time I get an impression from him, he's never condemned me. Convicted me, <laughs> but never condemned me. You worthless child of mine, you'll never hear that from the voice of God. You may hear that from the enemy. Uh, what you did was not good, and it's not consistent with the character of Jesus, and you know that, so repent of that and back away from it. That's, I've heard that many times. But, and then uh, finally, does it make sense, and does it give me peace inside me, the peace of God? So that's the third one. So here's where I've taken you so far. How do we hear the voice of God? And, and by the way, if you haven't discerned this already, this message is not for you, it's for me. I wrote it for me. Um, first, be religiously in the scriptures, reading it constantly. Just let it flow over you, and you will hear the voice of God, trust me. Second, let preachers and teachers be the mouthpiece of God in your life. Listen eagerly. Third, which is my last point, God does still give us spiritual impressions. Um, we're not just practical deists and only what we read in the Bible can be the direction that God wants me to go. And then finally, through pain. Through pain. Allow pain and difficulties to be a hearing aid in your life. In Proverbs 20, verse 30, blows that wound cleanse away the evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. And those are not blows and strokes from people in your life. It's from circumstances in your life. Pain's a megaphone. C.S. Lewis said this. You're familiar with it, surely. God whispers in our joy, but he shouts in our pain. And someone has said, we don't see the light until we feel the heat. <laughs> and that's really true. In fact, if you haven't learned this yet, you should learn this as a young, uh, a young minister. Uh, the, best, the greatest spiritual growth happens in a Christian's life 
when things are hard. The problem for a pastor is how do you make things hard for your people? Well, you don't want to do that. You, you know, you want to preach goodness and grace and all of those things. But we know, I know, that the opportunity to really grow in Christ is, is really fueled whenever we're going through pain. God allows hard circumstances at times, and um, he's allowing some of you to experience it now. Uh, you uh, don't have any money, and that's difficult and hard on you. You're not sure how you're going to continue on in this journey that God's called you to. And there are other things going on inside you, including the pain I mentioned earlier, that God is kind of taking care of you on the inside too, and it's very painful because you're having to change and morph toward being more like Jesus. And it's a painful place to be. But listen to him. He is there, and he's not silent often, not always, but often uses our painful circumstances and puts a megaphone up to our ear and says, okay, I want you to stop doing that. It is not like me. It's not what I've called you to. And you have to wrestle with it. Sometimes it's just a normal routine. Uh, for, for case in point, that one that I think of most, most readily is uh, over the years our church grew and it and we had a sanctuary that held a few hundred people, and it grew. And then we had two services, and then we had three services, and then we had four services. And so I was preaching at 8.15 and at 9.30 and at 11 o'clock and at 5 o'clock. And all were the four of the same sermons, our, our evening services, of, like our morning services. Our folks come in the morning or the evening because of the just facilities. And so I, am, I did that four times a Sunday for five years. Five. Excited to do it? Absolutely. Uh, if you've done much preaching and teaching, you know it's an emotionally draining thing, but very excited and seeing what God was doing is even more exciting. And the challenge was there and it's almost like God threw down the gauntlet and I'm going to do this and we're going to accomplish this. And, and finally, one Monday morning after five years of doing that, this, I walked into my uh, kitchen and my wife was standing there making toast and I said, honey, today I'm finished. I'm not getting in my car. I'm not driving to the church. I'm not preaching Sunday. I'm starting a whole new series of sermons on the image of God. I am not preaching. I'm not opening my Bible again. I am finay. And I sat down. I, I had just come to the point where the emotional pain and the physical trauma to my body and everything, it was just all in the spiritual uh, desert, so to speak, after working that hard that long consistently just totally drained me and it was so painful I was depressed discouraged and my wife sweetheart she said to me no no I, I see I, I know what you're saying I said no you don't understand I quit and she said no you I, I no I said you don't understand I quit and she said no no you're going to get in the car and I'm going to drive you to the doctor <laughs> <laughs> to a Christian doctor and I sat down and to, he, she told him I told him and he started to laugh and he said well you're just emotionally and spiritually drained and in the midst of your pain you think God's telling you to quit he's telling you to back up you're not the energizer bunny and it's because of that we now at our church have a teaching team I'm not the only one who who mans the pulpit we have a advanced team of ministers we have a life stage model the church doesn't all bottleneck at me we actually have six pastors uh, who take care of different ages throughout the church, etc. We have a completely different model all because of this particular experience. God's doing that with you. He's doing that with you. Now, I want to challenge you before I close. 
if you're bored with your faith, and seminarians can be bored with their faith, it's because you're not listening to God. If you hear God, you, you won't be bored. You'll be frightened. You'll be frightened. Here are the things that come out of it. When you hear the voice of God, you'll have a confidence that you belong to Jesus and a knowledge that he loves you. When you hear him, you know he loves you. There's this communication because of your relationship. Second, you'll have a life purpose or mission forming inside you. I'm here because along the way I wrestle with hearing God. And sometimes I didn't hear him well, but he just kept yelling at me. And I finally got it. And inside each of you, a mission is forming. Keep listening to God. And finally... You'll be protected from mistakes, and you'll know success. You'll be kept from sin, which so easily besets us and can destroy a ministry, literally. And you'll know success, and success is being in the will of God. Not having a ski business, not having a church. It's being in the will of God, wherever that is. Please remember, if nothing else is remembered after this morning, he is there, and he's not silent. Pray with me. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the great privilege of being able to just chat with these pretty remarkable and incredibly gifted men and women in the room. And I know, Lord, that you have a future for them that maybe 25 years from today they'll be here at this pulpit because they've heard your voice. Give us your strength. Help us listen and obey. And I pray your good favor on all the professors and teachers, uh, everyone who keeps this wonderful institution moving forward for the kingdom and for every student in the room, that there's be a blessing on them this afternoon. They'd hear your voice. They'd feel profoundly secure in where they are here, and you would direct them to honor you. And this is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen.